passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I am National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Fitzgerald, joined as always by 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivan. Some people call him the Prince of Florida, and guess what, Prince of Florida? We got our first publisher, you heard that right, our first publisher guest on the show. That is Colin Kennedy of Sooners Illustrated by way of Louisville, Texas, by way of Flower Mound, Texas by way of Marcus High School, by way of Nashville, 24-7 Sports Headquarters, by way of his parents' house on the road, getting the scoop right now in the mix. Colin, my friend, it had to be you. It had to be you. There couldn't be anybody else. How are we doing, my friend? Not another way, right? It's it's an honor and a privilege to be here with the two most handsome guys in our network, aside, of course, from producer Lance himself. And, you know, I was I was thinking about this, guys, like, the three of us have been in the trenches together with these live stream commitments, and we have seen some wild stuff. And here we are together, so I don't know what's about to happen. Anything could go wrong, but I'm hoping we'll bring a whole lot right to the table. Well, let's also be here with you guys. Let's start right there. So you were coordinating our YouTube commitments there for a while, and we've, we've had some interesting conversations. Which was the most hectic announcement in, off the top of your head? There's got to be one where you're just like, yep, never again. I don't, I don't know if I can say the kid's name, but I, quick synopsis of it. He turned all the lights off. He played a video behind him that no one could see while the lights were off. Then while this video was playing, he stood up and left the screen. So it's a pitch black screen. His parents then moved the screen all over. I have no idea what's going on at that point. He then leaves the entire room. The screen gets pointed up at the ceiling, and we don't see anything for about five minutes or so, and then he comes back in. We still can't really see him. We can see the top of his head and everyone shouting and screaming, and then eventually he jumps up and looks down at the camera with a wild animal. So... I would tell you that that roller coaster of emotions was one of the first that I was like, what am I doing with my life right now? But we got through it. I'm pretty sure that you were involved in that too, Ivan. I don't know if you remember the one I'm talking about. I don't. I will. They all kind of blend together after a while. You know, that stress just it mounts inside of you and eventually it blends together to really test your character as a human being. It's like if jerry springer had like a magic show that's what it feels like to be on those <laughs> things you get so much anxiety being on a 24 7 sports commitment it's just like i have no idea what's going to happen my favorite is like when you're live colin you're in the ear of the prospect and their family you're like all right we're going live in like 10 seconds and then somebody's mom is like popping up right in front of the camera <laughs> you know it's like hey is the, the mic on so anyway we got you out of that role we're, we're back in the cover in Oklahoma. We're back in the state of Texas where yep. you belong, my friend. Hey, real real quick plug for the people out there. If you want to subscribe to Sooners Illustrated, Colin, make sure to correct me if I'm wrong. A VIP sub. It also gets you access to Paramount Plus. How about that? So if you want to subscribe <clears throat> to Sooners Illustrated, Paramount Plus with the plug there. Colin, a little background on you. Andrew Ivins, he dies deep. This is what he does. Ivins in another life could be like an FBI agent. You're a professor at Gaylord College, College of Journalism and Mass Communication at Oklahoma. Is that true? Yeah, I actually taught there and was the sports director for the school. And once I graduated, 
it's a funny story. So when I was like a sophomore, I became a TA at the journalism school. And you get involved in a senior class as a sophomore TA, and you're like, what exactly am I doing here? But it it kind of proved my abilities, I would say. And later on down the line, a position came open. They needed someone to kind of run the sports department and teach stuff in sports journalism. And they asked me if I would do it. And so our guy, Trey Scott, I called him up when I was working for him before I became the whole live commitment guy. And I was like, look, man, this opportunity is in front of me. I really want to do it, but I want your okay. And once he gave me the green light, I actually taught a semester of school at OU. So not only have I grown up watching OU football and graduated from OU and covered the team, but I have even taught on campus. So it's, it's quite the intersection there. I actually read that the graduation rate at the College of Journalism and Mass Communication at University of Oklahoma has since dipped since you've been <laughs> yeah. there. So, you know, God bless the kids out there who want a future in journalism. All right, my friend. Hey, let's, let's get into it. There's a lot of Oklahoma fans, I'm sure, listening. who are probably like, what in the hell was the first five minutes of that show? <laughs> Not that anybody needed that. But let's let's get into Oklahoma a little bit. All right, Brent Venables, a lot of expectations going into year one in 2022. Six and seven, they end the year on a loss to Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl. They lose 49 to nothing to Texas. That one was a big blemish for Brent Venables in year one. A couple big wins. They beat Oklahoma State 28 to 13. Up and down game, OT game against Texas Tech. They lose that one. Their win total this next season, nine and a half for the Sooners. And, Colin, obviously you, you – uh, are very well-versed when it comes to Oklahoma. But you're feeling generally going into year two for Brent Venables uh, in the Oklahoma Sooners. It, it, it's truly a unique year in which I don't know that we fully have a grasp of what we can expect from an on-field perspective. But, and we'll get into this later, a little teaser in the show, the schedule warrants wins, and I think the expectation, especially after the record from the previous year that you mentioned, is that some sort of leap forward is going to take place. And while there are returners from last season, I don't think we're talking enough when it comes to Oklahoma about some of the serious losses that they have suffered over the course of the offseason. Yes, Brent Venables is supposed to build positive momentum going into this next season, but he loses Eric Gray, who you guys know is a really talented individual in a number of different ways. When he came in from Tennessee, I was banging the table for him as a take for Oklahoma. And fans were like, eh. And then all of a sudden he becomes, what, a thousand-yard rusher, can make plays in the passing game, became kind of a leader for the locker room. Well, he's gone on top of three starting offensive linemen, both of those guys being tackles who got drafted, and then an interior guard guy in Chris Murray – you're, you're going to lose Brayden Willis at the tight end spot. And if you know anything about OU's tight end room, I would call it one gigantic question mark and added confusion on top of that. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball, and I do think that there is a chance to make serious advancement there. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. But I would tell you two things that are really fascinating. For the first time seemingly in forever at OU, I would say the offensive side of the ball is a greater question mark than the defensive side of the ball. I don't know when I've ever said that. But then on top of it, I don't necessarily know how the expectations going into 2023 match up with so many individual question marks that are still out there regarding the roster. And so this coaching staff will have a lot on its plate. And again, because of the outlook in terms of the, the season layout, they're going to be expected to get some serious wins, whether they have to try and adjust from those losses or not. All right. I, I got to stop you here. You said the offense is a bigger question mark than the, the defense. The defense finished what? 122 nationally in total D, giving up 461 yards a game last season. Uh, give us some more, shed some more okay. light on that. But Ivan, did you even watch the spring game? Don't you know you're supposed to go all in on the spring game takeaways? Like you're supposed to go completely 100% off the cliff whenever they show signs of improvement on that side of the ball in the spring game. But in all seriousness, I think, again, you look at some of the losses on the offensive side of the ball, and those guys are serious contributors. I didn't even mention Marvin Mims, right, who gets drafted, is one of the better wide receivers in that room. The wide receiver room is still a massive question mark. It feels like at almost every position group, 
there is still a question mark there, even at quarterback, right, with Jackson Arnold coming in and Dylan Gabriel needing to take a step forward. On a defensive side of the ball, I think there's a couple things you have to acknowledge. Number one, they look to be not only more improved but deeper in the secondary, which is massive. Then you look at the linebacker room. I think there are five, six guys that they're really excited about now that Kobe McKenzie is taking a step forward. The guys who are expected to start in Danny Stutzman and Jaron Kanick, they are obviously what they are and what they could eventually become. Kip Lewis showed out in the spring game. He needs to add weight, but if he does so over the course of the summer, I mean, he's a tackling machine. Gabe Brooks and I, shout out to our guy Gabe. I loved Kip Lewis in space, and I think Brent Venables would be able to maximize that. And then on the defensive line, they bring in some really talented transfers. I think that that room is fairly deep on paper. Guys need to improve, of course, but Rondell Bothroyd coming in as a transfer, I think he's going to be really good at defensive end. They brought in some defensive tackles. I think some other guys took some steps forward. And then I'll tell you the really fascinating aspect of the defense that I think has everyone excited. The cheetah position, what they call it, which is essentially the glorified nickel. Desan McCullough, I mean, the dude, when I was covering him in 7-on-7, he was playing high safety at 6'5 and, what, 220 pounds. I mean, he's always been an athletic freak. He now steps into that cheetah role, and he's shown more physicality than I think some expected. He flies around. He looks like an SEC-style football player. I mean, you go out on the field, and he just kind of looks – a little bit different than everyone else. And then behind him, this is the other big thing, Justin Harrington, who came from the JUCO ranks, is like 6'3", 230-ish pounds, maybe 225. He was someone that Oklahoma always felt like could emerge into something. And it took him a little bit to get there. The, the, the path has been anything but status quo, but he's also shown a ton of improvement over the course of the spring. And it seems like it's all coming together for him from a mentality perspective. And so with those two and then the rest of the defense that I mentioned, I mean, you have to look it over the offensive side of the ball. All those guys are gone. I hate to say it, but like the defense probably has more signs of positivity than the offense right now. And they'll probably try and fix that in the transfer portal, but still that's where we are today. Colin, you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, I just uh, did a, a, a radio hit in Atlanta and there was a lot of questions about Florida and Billy Napier. Right. And they finished with the same record as Oklahoma did in year one and Brent Venables. We talk a lot about Billy Napier and the trajectory forward for that program going into year two. They've done a really good job on, on the recruiting trail. There's some question marks, as you mentioned, similar to Oklahoma in, in some position rooms uh, that are a little bit illuminating. I just kind of wonder, this was a team that had expectation, expectations to win last year. And they fell short of that. So I, I wonder, going into year two, you take the temperature, I, especially when you, you throw in the Red River rivalry game that was so lopsided and you're shut out of that. What happens if, if Oklahoma falls short of expectations again this year and, and you're looking at a seven and five season as opposed to that over under being at nine and a half? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because I don't know that the national scene truly has a pulse of how Oklahoma fans are feeling. And and we know that OU fans are a little bit, let's say, extravagant in the social media realm, right? But I, I truly do believe, and they would probably say the same thing, that there is a, a general level of understanding coming off of last year. To add some context here, I mean, Oklahoma saw probably the biggest – amount of roster turnover that they had ever seen in in program history once Lincoln Riley left a ton of guys obviously left for either USC or other destinations in the portal Brent Venables and that new staff comes in natural roster turnover takes on from there and it's just it's a completely different scene than it had even been obviously around the time that Bedlam was being played and so that roster last year, while Oklahoma is always going to be expected to win, it was going to be really hard to get that group all on the same page that rapidly in order to meet the level of expectation. And I would tell you that double-digit wins in Norman is the consistent expectation regardless of what you're, you're facing. And so I think that the fan base honestly saw last year as kind of a rebuilding year. And I, I think that's really encouraging for the fan base to kind of say, okay, Brent Venables is our guy. We understand what he has had to go through, and we understand 
the the shock value that was brought to Norman and how he tried to to right the ship. But then going off of that, now you understand that and you say, okay, you get that rebuild gear. Now it's time to go. And, and especially as we get into the schedule here in a second, like Oklahoma has talent. They have guys coming in, especially from the portal, who should be able to help you win a lot of football games. And now you have some depth in the quarterback room, which is an interesting storyline to follow. I'll put it lightly, but on top of that, you're, you're getting another year of these guys in your program. You're getting more guys who fit your mold, right? There are some very intriguing freshmen coming in who I think will be able to contribute. And so overall, this is kind of the year where I think Brent Venables really needs to start getting things going in the right direction, because if he doesn't, the SEC is on the horizon. And you have to capitalize on building your program up now, especially when you're able to dodge some Big 12 thorn in your sides, if you will, like Kansas State. So I I really do think that Brent Venables kind of got a year of flack and and deservedly so. But this season, man, he really needs to start winning because I think the Oklahoma fan base has been understanding, but they can only be so to an extent. You you have me, my ears perked up with that comment about the – quarterback situation we'll get to that in a second yeah you keep keep bringing up the schedule um and and let's get into it open up against arkansas state at home smu at home at tulsa i would think that's probably a a three and oh start and then at cincinnati iowa state red river shootout or what are they what do they call it now i say that right red river showdown Showdown. whatever you want to call it. okay okay i don't i don't know if we're gonna get flack for that I was going to say, I don't know what, what corporate entity is going to call us, but we'll have some fun with it. Okay. By week, UCF at home, at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, West Virginia, at BYU, and then you finish with TCU. Uh, we keep mentioning nine and a half is, is the win total, but is there one game on there where you're like, he's got to get this one, or this is kind of the, the measuring stick in your eyes? Is there one you have circled maybe in that – that first five or six before the bye week or maybe before Texas? I I would say in the first few games before Texas, if there is a slip-up on the road at Cincinnati, then we have a serious issue. Because I think the outside world is going to say, oh, Cincinnati, they were in the playoff not too long ago. They're a pretty solid program. They're a new addition to the Big 12. They'll probably have a whole bunch of of fire surrounding them. And then on top of that, that's that's a road game. That's at Cincinnati. So maybe that's a slip-up. But I look at that program, right? A lot of those elite players are gone. That's a new coaching staff coming in. I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. Transfer portal turnover, the quarterback spot. I believe that <laughs> well, one. Like, I know what's talking about. Emory Jones might is projected starter. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know that I really want to talk about Emory Jones right now, right? I don't know that I have anything great to say at this at this time, but but look, like if they go out there and slip up and then you have to play Iowa State and Texas before you get to the bye, that we have a problem. And so I think that the Cincinnati game will be very interesting. But if we expand beyond that, and I'm sure we will probably get into this now, but we get into the rest of the schedule, that's where you obviously should be more so worried about the slip ups rather than Cincinnati or before. I hate to be like the the Debbie Downer here. Obviously, I'm looking at the the glass um, half empty here, but you know, I'm. What happens? Like, what are the recruiting implications for Brent Venables if you go down 0-2 in a series against Steve Sarkeesian? Yeah, it, it it is a great question. So, I think what people are forgetting as well, when especially we talk about the Texas game. So, that game last year just went completely by the wayside because Dylan Gabriel goes down and he can't play. And Oklahoma is essentially forced to do two things. Play Davis Bevel, who I don't want to dive too deeply into that situation, but for some general context, Jackson Arnold leapfrogged Davis Bevel on the depth chart almost immediately, maybe even before he arrived in North. Right? So, Davis Bevel has to play in that Red River game last year. That thing was going to go bad regardless. But then on top of that, they're forced to play Braden Willis as the Wildcat quarterback 
former in high hopes school quarterback. Of, of subbing Davis Bevel, who was struggling immensely in that outing. And so I think what Brent Venables and the staff was able to do, and I don't know that I 100% approve of it, but they were essentially able to say, like, look, that game was a complete fluke. They, they, they didn't necessarily get to field the team that they wanted to. And so you're you're kind of able to sell recruits on the idea that that, that was a one-off. We're going to get them next year. Well, now you better get them. So I, I think Oklahoma, if you go down 0-2 to Sark, who is doing an outstanding job, I really like the Texas roster going into this year. I think it's going to be a really tough outing for OU this season, especially if everything hasn't necessarily come together. And we've seen even some of OU's best teams still somewhat struggling whenever they go to see Texas. That that's a really tough look, and then from there you're going to have a lot of questions to answer on the recruiting trail if you're Brent Venables. You brought up Jackson Arnold, popular name so far in this podcast, the headliner of Oklahoma's 2023 recruiting class, which finished ranked number four, also at the number five transfer class. What yep. are maybe some of the expectations, some guys that we could see on the field? Jackson Arnold was there for spring football. I think Peyton Bowen as well. You know, tell us, tell us who we're going to see on the field here in 2023 as true freshmen. Yeah, so I'll lead with this. So speaking of the schedule and then tying in this next discussion point, right? Everyone wants to talk about Jackson Arnold versus Dylan Gabriel. Like that—that's one of the biggest things surrounding Norman right now, and I get it. So here's my quick little spiel on it: the concept of being the starter at the beginning of the year and essentially the closer at the end of the year are two completely different things. And we saw that come to fruition when Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams were involved. So here's what I would say really quick. This is, in my mind, undoubtedly Dylan Gabriel's team. He is the, the squad leader. He's basically the captain. He has gone out of his way on numerous occasions to bring his teammates together, not only for for an added work, but fellowship. And I think that's gone a long way in the locker room. But at the same time, Dylan Gabriel, especially with injury history, is not without flaws. And I, I hate calling them flaws, but number one, the best ability, uh, uh, the best ability is availability, right? And so if Dylan Gabriel were to go down or some struggles were to be seen, we obviously talked about those first few games. I mean, after the bye week, they got UCF, Kansas, who I don't think will necessarily be a slouch. You've got at Oklahoma State, which I think they should be able to beat the Cowboys, but, I mean, it's Bedlam. You just never know. It's called Bedlam for a reason. They go to BYU, which is another fascinating game, and then you close with TCU at home. And sometimes when the Horn Frogs go to Norman specifically, it gets a little bit weird. And so – in the back end of that stretch, if something happens to Dylan Gabriel, either health-related or play-related, I, I, again, he is the guy going into 2023 for OU, but Jackson Arnold could potentially have a chance to get onto the field this season. Outside of that, I'll say really quick, I think Peyton Bowen's going to play a ton at safety for OU this year. And I felt like that was the expectation going into this thing. That then was cemented whenever he played the way he played in the spring game, had that ridiculous interception. Peyton Bowen as well is someone who I think could contribute in a special teams aspect of things. And the safety room is getting deeper. And I know that Peyton Bowen has pushed a lot of those guys to improve. And when you're adding more effort, you probably tire out a little bit more. So Peyton Bowen, in my opinion, is not only going to be on the field a lot for Oklahoma, but I think he's seriously going to be impactful. And then P.J. Adebawar. I mean, you want to talk about guys, we were talking about Desan McCullough or Harrington or some of these guys on the defensive side of the ball that look a little bit different for Oklahoma. P.J. is beloved by the coaches, I would tell you by the players, of course by this fan base. Everyone saw what his brother did during the NFL draft process and thought he might be even better. And P.J. is going to be playing that edge spot for OU. I think he's already acclimating to this level, and, and he's doing it at a very impressive, impressive rate. And when you recruit a guy like that, there's a reason for it. You're expecting him to come in as a five-star and play right away. So I think P.J. is going to be someone who plays a lot. 
Outside of that, though, I, I'm interested to see what they get out of a couple individuals like the running back group. So Caleb Hicks, I, I do think that they have a top two, but Caleb Hicks could spell in as like that third guy. I know that they're very excited about Phil Pachotti, who is a linebacker, and I mentioned how that linebacker room goes a couple deep. Phil Pachotti already looks like a college linebacker, so I think that they think he's going to be able to come in and, and play right away. Jaquez Petaway, I don't know if you guys have seen the track times he's putting down out here in Texas, but oof, when the only guy running faster than you is Caden Durham, you're doing something right, and Petaway really fits what obviously Levy likes to do in that system so much spacing, spit on the sideline stuff. Like he's going to get open, and he's going to do so by just running by everybody. Long story short, there's a ton of guys I can go through. There, I know they're really excited about. I think Lewis Carter, the linebacker coming in. There are so many others I could touch on, but basically, the 2023 class was so highly rated for a reason. A lot of these guys will be able to come in and play right away in Norman, and I think the coaching staff understands that. I think the fan base expects that, and I think it's what's going to make OU's season really exciting in 2023. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All right, Colin, before we kind of move on into the next conversation, you heard us talk about the over-under being at nine and a half. Uh, where, where do you land on that with the Sooners? And then also Jackson Arnold expectations. If you do expect him to get his first start in a Sooners uniform, where would you put your money on that being? Yeah, I, I'll say this. I was asked this on the board the other day. My realistic expectation is probably around nine wins. I mean, I, I'm trying to factor in some slip-ups here just in case. The last thing I want to do is hop on this podcast and be like, they're winning 10, 11 games. I I just I have a hard time doing that. Nine, 10 wins is ideal. And again, you should be expected 
to to win a lot of games with the schedule. But I think the Texas game is going to be really hard. That TCU game to close the year is what I'm keeping my eye on as well. And then you look at some of the others. I mean, they they don't play Kansas State, which I can't emphasize enough is massive. They don't play Baylor. That's another huge one, right? But on the road at Kansas, I mean, sometimes it gets a little sleepy out there. I, I, I'm just trying to see what might happen down the line that could contribute to a slip up or two along the way. And so I think TCU and Texas are the two games that I'm really keeping my eye on as potential losses. And then from there, it could be anything. But for Jackson Arnold, if I had to guess where he's starting a game potentially, it's really difficult, but I wouldn't be surprised if something happens health or play related in the Texas game and they try and let Dylan Gabriel work his way through. And if we are still facing all these question marks, the bye week before you get UCF at home feels like an opportunity to workshop the freshman as your potential starter because then he gets a week of added time to work through everything, build more chemistry with the starters. Then he gets a home game out of it after you've already gone through the Texas game, which is huge in my opinion. So the first few games, again, I think are Dylan Gabriel's to have, but being the season starter and being the season closer, we've seen it literally in Norman before. You you have to understand that anything can happen, and that's why I think Jackson Arnold has to at least be mentioned. I think, I think there's a chance if I had to, I'm sure we'll get this question, Cooper, like, you know, what, what freshman quarterback do you expect to see on the field? I think Jackson Arnold's kind of my go-to, right? Yeah. The other one would be Dante Moore. Those would be the two. Yeah. And, and Aiden Childs, obviously he's got to play his way through DJU. I mean, the reports, and I only say this because, you know, I know some people out in LA, but the reports on Dante Moore are, they're very excited. Um, you know, and, and I think the path to the field for Dante Moore, he's only got the Kent State transfer to go through. I'm not trying to knock him, but uh, there's a there, there's a less proven track record out west. Now, Colin, to piggyback off of what you said, I think that makes perfect sense. I I, I think you're looking at this if you're Brent Venables and six game sample size, first half of the season, second half of the season, you have that bye week there, and if you're Jeff Lebby. In that result of that Texas game, and, and depending on the result, right, we're not just going to say black and white win-loss, but if that game is comparable in some way, shape, or form, and that game was 49 nothing, you mentioned there's obviously a lot more context into that game last season. But if that game's not competitive, that's a two-touchdown-plus game. To me, I'm ripping the Band-Aid off. I'm getting Jackson Arnold ready for Central Florida. I, I want to see what I got. Because I got a young team you just talked about all the weapons that they have offensively and then on the defensive side of the ball led by, you know, PJ Adebore, not to mention Peyton Bowen, Makari Vickers, Jacoby Johnson. I mean, I love this Oklahoma class. They are super talented at the top, but they're also super deep. And I think this is is a team that's built for the future, but they need some run. And Jackson Arnold's not the only guy that I'm kind of circling right there. I think all these guys are going to be guys that you are going to want to play early with the move to the SEC a year later. So I think Jackson Arnold, listen, I'm trying to get him as much run as possible. And it, and if I'm Oklahoma and I'm somehow four and two going into the bye, give him the ball, you know, and, and I think this kid is pretty special in terms of one, he's ready to play. He gets a spring under his belt. He's played elite level competition at Denton Geyer. He gets, he's going to have a fall under his belt. I think that I think that conversation. I would not be surprised if it started to creep into their minds a little bit earlier than even that bye week. Yeah, uh, a real quick two things. Number one, I watched Jackson Arnold start his first varsity game, and I still don't know that I get to claim president of the Jackson Arnold fan club like you do, Cooper. So I'm very happy for you as you lead the charge. But I'm, oh, that's I'm, not me. That's uh, that's <laughs> director of recruiting Steve Wolfong. He, he will he will tell you that he will beat down the the doors on the on the fan club there on Jackson Arnold. Yes. But. Yeah, Fong is a huge Arnold guy as well, and rightfully so, right? I mean, the guy is a, a dude, and he he took steps, especially towards his senior year, that were wildly impressive. And on that, I'll tell you two things. Number one, the, I think you made a great point. They're built for the future, but you better not forget about the now in the Big 12, because if you slip up now, 
don't think you get a whole bunch of coasting later on once you go to the SEC. And then on top of that, what I would tell you really quickly in a fun little nugget, when Dylan Gabriel was announced as the starter in the spring game, he got his cheer. But when Jackson Arnold stepped onto the field, I'm just telling you, he kind of got the Caleb Williams treatment. So that's something to follow because if you remember correctly, the fan base chanted, well, the student section chanted for Caleb Williams at one point during that season. I'm not going to say you're going to see the same thing this year, but it, it could be on the table. Well, I'm going to come clean here. I, I'm the caboose on the uh, Jackson Arnold train. It took me <laughs> a week of seeing him at Under Armour All-America where he was the best best guy in practice. And uh, I think the X factor with him is his legs. You know, I think that can <laughs> unlock some things. He's, he's really good running the football. Led the Under Armour All-America game in rushing yards. Um, I don't think that's discussed enough at the national level. Uh, let's transition to this recruiting cycle. 2024, um, Oklahoma's had a top 10 ranked class each of the past three years, right? 2021, they were number 10, 2022, number eight, 2023, number four. Right now, only a few guys committed, sitting outside the top 25 at, at number 26 overall. Um, what do we need to know about this group so far? Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting group. And I would tell you that I would start at the bottom. I think the, the definition of this class starts with someone like K.J. Daniels, who was a, a evaluation from Emmett Jones, known as one of the better developers of wide receiver talent. I think K.J. Daniels is a lot of fun, and he is going to be a perfect fit for what Levy wants to do. I think someone like that is kind of your, your base all the way up. It, it's a very interesting group. Now, you mentioned Ivan's. It's Nowhere near completed. I mean, not even remotely close, but I like some of the pieces. I mean, Jaden Hardy, I've known that guy since he was in eighth grade. He has always been someone that we figured was going to be a guy, right? And, and then Zion Kearney, the recent wide receiver commitment, I like the fact that they're going after receivers who are somewhat complementary to each other. A couple of big bodies, a couple of really fast guys that can play on the inside. They get Newcomb from out in, in Arizona, who you always want to add defensive back depth, right? Michael Hawkins, I mean, if you're going to take a quarterback, which, by the way, real quick thing, it's nice to see that someone like Brent Venables is, is debunking the whole you take a quarterback every other cycle that I think fans got used to in Norman. So Hawkins being a, a legacy guy, I, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with the take there. I think he's a, a good kid. Obvious, obvious athleticism. Isaiah Autry, the offensive tackle, very intriguing prospect in Mississippi. I know Bill Beanbow, I believe, is a really big fan of his. And, and Bill Beanbow, if he likes a guy, I like a guy. So I think it's a very good group of six so far, and we'll see who else eventually joins him. Yeah, I'm pretty interested in, in this 24 cycle as well. And I'm, you know, our, our next question here, we're going to get to it in a second, but you know, we talk about must get recruit for Oklahoma. We got two categories. We got the must get, and then we got the dream get for Oklahoma. And I'm the middle, I'm in the middle of the top two, four, seven audit right now, which takes me about a month to go through top 250 players in, in the United States. And you look at Oklahoma, what they did on the defensive line. We've talked about PJ Adebore a little bit. Derek LeBlanc was another guy that I liked in the process. And you know, it was a little bit of a roller coaster, uh, but I think benefits going to a place like Norman under Brent Venables. I mean, you you think about some of the guys that they're in it with right now. If you could add a Williams Enwineri on top of a PJ Adebore, David Stone as well, another guy that has ties to the Oklahoma program. I mean, you're sitting in a really good spot there. Is there a guy off the top of your head, whether it's positional or whether you feel like Hey, this is a guy with ties to the program. They got to get this done. Uh, it kind of felt like DJ Hicks last year, and that kind of slipped through the fingers. Is is there a similar type in, in this year's class? I would say without a question in my mind, the first guy I'm going to is David Stone, right? I, it In years past, okay, there have been interior defensive linemen that Oklahoma has had advantages with that they weren't able to capitalize on. Right, and that goes back to Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, who had family in Oklahoma, but 
when he's out building kind of his own life and path in the state of Florida and had such strong connections to the Texas A&M scene, I, like I understood eventually why they lost that battle. You look at DJ Hicks. So the Hicks family was very close to Calvin Thibodeau, who's the former defensive line coach at OU, but turnover and all of that. I, Todd Bates did a really good job in that recruitment, but Texas A&M, especially for a elite defensive line presence in the greater Houston area, Texas A&M is going to be really hard to fight off. When you look at David Stone, yes, he's at IMG. I, I get it. He is a IMG ascender, I believe. That's what they're called. Yeah. But David, <laughs> but, but David Stone is he is a Sooner State product through and through. Like this guy, real quick. As a eighth grader, I remember I was helping with an offensive defensive line camp in, in DFW, and I invited him, and he came as like an eighth grader and dominated. And it, it felt like from that moment on, he was like the unquestioned number one target for Oklahoma. And Stone, yes, he's gone all over the country. He's taken every visit you can imagine. But there's a couple things here that I think make him a must-get. Yes, there's familiarity. Yes, there are relationships. Yes, there's kind of that home tie, the, the the hometown fan base. All that stuff was there, though, in the past, before this new staff came, right? The relationships, location, all that good stuff. The big difference now that if you're Oklahoma, you better capitalize on is you can sell the development aspect to David Stone. And why did I bring that camp up? The first thing I talked to a young David Stone about that he mentioned to me was his number one thing in his mind is development. He wants to make sure, especially because at that time he mentioned to me, I'm worried about things like competition level and all that sorts. I want to make sure I'm bettering myself to the best of my ability, and I need to find a place that's going to do so. If you're Todd Bates, I mean, you can sell the development aspect on top of everything else, probably for the first time that Oklahoma's been able to in a really long time. And David Stone really likes Todd Bates, but he also understands what that guy is capable of from a defensive line development standpoint. And so when you tie all of that together – it makes David Stone probably priority number one across the entire board. They have to get him back to the state of Oklahoma. How, how many times has he visited Norman? I feel like every time I cross paths, paths with him, he's either been there or he's about to be there again. Yeah. I mean, it, that's my thing is he's at IMG, but I mean, he, he is in Oklahoma all the time and he is in Norman all the time. And so Yes, he now lives out of state, but but does he really? You know what I mean? So and that's that's what makes the situation so much different, I think, than than everything else is even though he's going to school out of state, he is still in the state so much. You would probably still be able to call him an in-state resident. And again, that's that's something that Oklahoma firmly understands. I mean, you zoom out from 30,000 feet and you look at what Brent Venables is doing on the defensive side of the ball at OU. It feels very Clemson-esque, and it starts up front. But if you can imagine a world, you know, we talk about Atabore, which to me about Oklahoma, what gets me excited, they have the cornerstones and the pillars of both the offense and defensive side of the ball. You got Jackson Arnold on offense, and you got P.J. Atabore on defense. Now you build around those guys at every level. I love what they did in the secondary. We talked about Samuel Mosigo a little bit. We talked about Lewis Carter, Jared Koenig. We've talked about him. The other guy in the mix here that I think you can throw that it's like an ideal fit from a culture standpoint is Sammy Brown out of Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> Georgia, Clemson, both those programs are in the mix. But I, he just feels like a Venables guy. You know, now all of a sudden you're talking about, all right, we're sitting in a good spot for Williams and Warney. Sammy Brown, we're in the mix in. That's all you want. You want to have it on the table and you keep chipping away. And you got David Stone. And we haven't even talked about Brian Wesco either, who right now Oklahoma owns 100% of the crystal ball. That would be four top 10 prospects right now, as it currently stands. More than likely, that's not going to hold up for Oklahoma. And that's that's a huge get. Now, this Wesco kid, Colin, I, I mean, I have a huge scouting crush on this guy just in terms of the <laughs> track and field background. He's elite uh, triple jump, long jump, high jump as well. I believe it was his father. Uh, was a Hall of Famer in track and field at Louisiana Tech. Mom. Uh, mother, excuse me. Uh, and this guy, I mean, I see a little bit of T. Higgins in his game. He's just kind of scratching the surface of what he's going to be. So 
I love where Oklahoma is from a talent building standpoint. To go back to Florida earlier in the in the show, it's how do you juggle the expectations of now versus the positive momentum of the future? I, I still think both these programs that we're talking about Oklahoma right now, they might have to take it on the chin another year, but year three could line up to be a really big year for them. I, I 100% agree. And real quick, number one, Wesco is awesome. He he is a really fun prospect out here. And on top of that, you mentioned Sammy Brown. There are other recruits on the board that they really want. I mean, you mentioned Will Nguyenary. You meant, I mean, Nigel Smith is probably at the top of that list as well. Uh, Joseph Jonah Jonye is another one. The defensive line recruiting specifically in this cycle is massive, but Man, could you guys imagine if Sammy Brown pulls up to Norman what that NIL stuff would look like? I mean, he's cleaning house. He he is doing numbers. But I think that the, the vision here for, for Oklahoma that's being sold to all of these guys, right, is exactly what you mentioned previously that's getting overlooked. And it's it's something that really came to my mind whenever I actually talked to Nigel Smith the other day. We were hanging out with Melissa after a practice, and he, he mentioned, like, hey, I mean, Todd Bates – still kind of developed all those guys that even just got drafted at Clemson. And Miguel Chavis had a hand in doing that, Brent Venables. It's very interesting because a lot of these recruits kind of understand what you're talking about. The, the Clemson vision is being applied in Norman, and they're buying into that theory. And so then you add in the SEC aspect of all of this, it, it's massive. And I think it's why Oklahoma – stands in such a good position with some of the nation's elite is because they have a guy that I think people respect. They have a lot of staffers who I think recruits will relate to, but even though they haven't necessarily panned out on the field the way that they wanted to, they understand that they are selling to these recruits the long-term, not the short-term. And I think that that message, especially when you factor in the SEC context is being received really well. All right, who's the who's the dream get for the Sooners? Cooper just rattled off ten top or four top ten prospects. So, yeah, I would tell you that the realistic dream is probably Will Nguyenary, right? The edge guy. You mentioned it. If they add him to an edge room that already features PJ, that's that's insane. And the the dream scenario that's probably discussed maybe more than anything when it comes to Oklahoma recruiting. And this is this is fascinating for me to cover. The dream scenario for Oklahoma right now is to sign a defensive line class that features David Stone, Will Nguyenary, Joseph Jonah Ajonye, Nigel Smith, and Zadavian Sims. And then there's like Dominic McKinley and all these other guys out there. But that five, it, it it's talked about all the time. And it's somehow not seemingly impossible, but I would tell you that Will Nguyenary outside of Stone, I mean, that's, that's a dream get for Oklahoma. And then – Real quick, I you have to make Sammy Brown the pick here, right? I mean, he he looks like Brian Bosworth would stroll into Norman and potentially start at linebacker right away, clean up in the NIL game. But then on top of that, like, okay, how do you get a guy like that? How do you beat out Georgia and Clemson? What I would tell you real quick is that if you pull up to an OU football practice, the head football coach in Brent Venables is almost 100% always around the linebackers. So you're telling a guy like that, Yes, the distance thing, it's very much there. But you get to come to Norman. You get to kind of be the boss chapter two and clean up in that front. But then you essentially get to be coached directly by the head coach and the defensive coordinator on a day-to-day -day basis, two of the top dogs in the program. And then on top of that, you get to go eventually play in the SEC, the territory in which you're familiar with. If that sell were somehow able to be pulled off and they were able to get Sammy Brown in this class – I, that to me would be a dream scenario times a million. It would be insane if they were able to haul in Sammy Brown. I have to say, I'm a fan of the Big 12, but I'm pretty excited about these boys getting ready to play in the SEC. Mm. You talk about Oklahoma and in, in Texas, but I mean, it's been more impressive to see what these two programs have done on the recruiting trail. And that leads us to one of our last questions, but you know, top five class for the Sooners year one. I think they got staying power in the top 10. Um, what's it look like this year? Like what's a, what's an ideal finish for them? Put a number on it. I would say I would say you should finish in the top 10 
And I would also say that the hope is to kind of replicate what he did last cycle and land somewhere around the top five. Because if you're able to do that, especially with some of the names that we're mentioning, like discard someone like Sammy Brown for a second, Wesco, Will Winery, David Stone, those all feel like very perceivable gets in the long term. You have to close and you have to get towards the top of the rankings because eventually those guys are going to be the guys who are making plays for you on Saturdays in the South of the Eastern Conference. So I would tell you a top five finish is certainly the goal. But if you slip outside the top 10, for some reason, then we have an issue for sure. Colin, I want you to educate our listeners who probably aren't as dialed in on Oklahoma football. When you look at that recruiting or that coaching staff, who would you kind of highlight as the as the top recruiter for OU? Yeah, it's a really tough question. And I think Venables does an outstanding job. I would go, I would go probably to Todd Bates off the top of my head. I just think that the relationship building, the way he approaches the game of football and just life in general, the way he relates to these guys, and then just the way he's able to consistently sell his track record as someone who puts interior defensive linemen into the first round, right? I mean, he he is as good as it gets. But then I would tell you, honestly, DeMarco Murray, for some of his efforts in the past, gets an honorable mention from me. And then I think Bill Beanbow still doesn't necessarily get enough credit. I know people are sometimes frustrated with how he goes about maybe – higher ranked individuals but the body of work speaks for him speaks for itself he's he's as good as it gets when it comes to offensive line recruiting and just that staff in general colin we're gonna get you out of here last question uh what should fans look forward to uh in terms of sooners illustrated i know you got a lot of things cooking over there we're excited to have you over there what's what's coming down the line my friend yeah, well, first, I'll tell you this. You're going to get these two guys hopping on the site, I hope, fairly frequently talking to this football with you. Two of the best in the game, Andrew Ivins and Cooper Patagna, will be hopping in, helping with evaluation, in general recruiting stuff. And our national recruiting team in general is in an outstanding job of supporting the site. But for us at Sooners Illustrated, man, I mean, I'm I'm hitting however many practices at this point, hitting the recruiting trail hard. We just added two new staffers and James Jackson and Josh Callaway, two guys who I think are really good dudes, genuine people who will bring really great coverage to Norman in, in multiple sports, not just football. But then we're going to add another staffer here pretty soon. And so you're going to get four people and potentially even more completely dedicated to covering Oklahoma football and all sports going on in Norman. And then, we still have stuff like the podcast that we're going to launch out there, YouTube channel coming. You've got direct access to us and everyone at 24-7 Sports when you sign up for a VIP membership. So come check us out at Sooners Illustrated. I promise you won't regret it. Colin Kennedy, the pride of Gaylord College, College of Journalism and Mass Communication at University of Oklahoma. Colin, we from Andrew and I, we're very proud of you, my friend. I know this is a new venture for you and your wife, starting anew at 24-7 Sports. One of the best in the business, one of the best people you'll ever meet, Colin Kennedy of Sooners Illustrated. We appreciate you stopping by. Like I said, make sure to get a VIP subscription. You also get access to Paramount Plus on there as well. So for the 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins, for our friend Colin Kennedy, I'm Cooper Patagon. We'll see you next time. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.